A familiar part of the Christmas story is the angel of the Lord speaking to some shepherds in the field and saying the marvelous words of Luke chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. The angel of the Lord said to these shepherds, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring good news of a great joy which shall be for all the people. For today, in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Eventually, the shepherds found Mary and Joseph and the baby who lay in the manger, and they came in worship. And after they left, they left rejoicing. They left praising God for what they had seen and also for what they had heard. The manger scene is common in during the Christmas season. It's one of those familiar decorations, no matter where you might go. Even some of you might have the manger scene in your very home. It's a common scene. And at times the decorations go too far because when you look at that manger scene, you see some people there who weren't there originally, like the, the Magi. It's commonly known that the Magi did not see Jesus laying in the manger. But the commercialization of the manger, the manger scene, has trivialized the Lord Jesus Christ. It has reduced him to a white-skinned, blue-eyed, quote, cute baby. That when people look at the baby, that's what they see. And on this Christmas Sunday, we need to see the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to see the baby in the manger through the lens of the Bible. We cannot allow the world to dictate to us and to shape us in what we see when we see that manger scene. We need the Bible to inform us and to instruct us of who we're actually looking at when we see the baby in the manger. During this Christmas season, we can't reduce Jesus just to another baby. If we do, it's detrimental to our walk with God and it devastates how we view the Lord Jesus Christ. So may I exhort you on this Christmas Sunday and during this Christmas season, may I exhort you to behold the baby in the manger but do so through the lens of the Word of God. And there are many places in God's Word that gives us a better view and better understanding of the Lord Jesus Christ, of the baby in the manger. But for our purposes, I want us to look at Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. This is a wonderful paragraph. This is a wonderful book. But in these opening verses, the writer of Hebrews announces the fact that God has spoken. 
I don't know about you, but I'm glad that God is not mute. I'm glad that God is not silent. I'm glad that the Bible tells us that God has spoken. He has spoken in times past to the people through the prophets. But the writer of Hebrews says that he now speaks to us. That is, he's including himself, he's including the readers of the book of Hebrews, and he's saying anyone who reads this book, God has spoken to us in his Son. You, you want to hear God today? He speaks in his Son. He speaks in his Word. But when he talks about the fact that God speaks to us in his Son, the writer of Hebrews takes time to tell us who this son is. He wants us to see this son properly. He wants us to see the son rightly. And so he describes the son in seven different ways. And he does that so that we might know that the son is better than anyone or anything. That there is none like the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, today I want us to approach this passage and look and behold the baby in the manger. As we come to the manger scene, I want God to use his word in our lives to help us to see this baby rightly and to see this baby properly. From the middle of verse 2, all the way to the end of verse 3. Seven descriptions of this baby, of this son, of this one in the manger. And the, the subject of our passage, it's not the baby born on Christmas morn. I know that's what's in the bulletin. I know that's what's in your outline, but that's not the subject. When I came up with that title, it rhymed. The baby born on Christmas morn, but it wasn't accurate. And so I want to change that title just by one word. The baby born on Christmas day. That way I'm standing on good, solid ground. The baby born on Christmas day. And isn't that what we just heard sung to us? Oh, holy night. Speaking of the birth of our Lord and Savior. Jesus Christ. The baby born on Christmas Day is the heir of all things. God has appointed this son, this baby, the heir. He has taken the initiative, he has taken the action to make this son, this baby, heir. And he's the heir of all things. Not of some things, not of a few things, but of all things. When you think about the baby, you're not looking at someone who is cute and cuddly. You're looking at the heir of all things. God has appointed his son as heir. And I don't know when that happened. Some suggest that it happened in eternity past, and I kind of lean that way. But sometimes God himself made 
his son, heir of all things. When the writer of Hebrew uses this expression, he's thinking about Psalm chapter, uh, Psalm 2 and verse 8. A psalm that speaks about the father giving to his son, the Messiah, the nations as an inheritance and the earth as a possession. God says to his son, ask of me and I will give you the nations. I will give you these things as your possession, the earth. The writer of Hebrews concurs with that. The writer of Hebrews says that the father has appointed the son as heir of all things, all people and all possessions. Now that's quite an inheritance. Uh, some of you are heirs. Some of you have been appointed an inheritance. Could it be a piece of property, pieces of property? Could it be money? But no one, absolutely no one, has inherited what the son will inherit. The son is the heir of all people in all things. Everything ultimately will be his. Not only those who are in heaven, but those who are in hell. Every knee shall bow, every tongue con shall confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord. So don't forget, when you come to the manger scene, when you see the baby in the manger, don't forget you're looking at the heir of all things. The baby whose birth we celebrate on Christmas morn is the agent of creation. He is the means by which the world came into existence. Think about that, that baby, that small infant, the Lord Jesus Christ, when we look into his face, we're looking at the one who was the agent of creation. The writer of Hebrews says that God, through the Son, created all things. He created the world. Jesus, baby Jesus, is the agent of God's creation. And when you look at your Bibles, when you read your Bible, that's what it will tell you repeatedly. And so in John chapter 1, when John is describing the Word that is Jesus Christ, how the Word became flesh, John says in chapter 1 verse 3 that all things, not a few things, but all things came into being by Him. And apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. Jesus is the agent of creation. Nothing at all has come into this world apart from him. And John in that same chapter in verse 10 says that the world was made through him. And if that's not enough, Paul piggybacks on that. Paul says in Colossians 1 verse 16, For by him, that is by Christ, all things were created. All things, both in the heavens and on earth, 
visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authority, all things have been created by Christ and for Christ. You might be wandering around wondering why do you exist? What is your purpose? What is your goal in life? Colossians 1.16 tells us we've been created by Christ and we've been created for him. And so if you're not living for him, you are going through life aimless. You're wasting your time. Your ultimate purpose in life is not to fulfill your desire, your will, your plan. Your ultimate purpose in life is that you've been created by Christ and you've been created for him. So line up your priorities, line up your goals with that in mind. The writer of Hebrews is telling us that Jesus is the agent in creating the whole universe of space and time. And, and what a magnificent universe he's created. I don't know, sometimes when we just stay in one location, when we don't get out of our little place where we live in the city that we're in, we, we think the world is small. But, but, but feast your eyes sometimes on a globe, on, on a map of the world, to see how massive this world is, and how beautiful, and how marvelous, and how magnificent it is. And no wonder the psalmist says that the heavens declare the glory of God. But, but how did those heavens come into existence? How did this universe come into existence? It was by the agency of the Lord Jesus Christ. So implied in the fact that Jesus is the agent of creation is saying that he's God. Jesus is God. Mary, did you know that when you kiss the face of this baby Jesus, that you were kissing the face of God? Don't let the Christmas season trivialize who Jesus is. He's God. He's the agent of creation. When it comes to the next description, there's a little shift. In verse 2, the writer of Hebrews has been talking about what God does through Christ. But now the subject in verse 3 is Christ himself. He's the one that we focus on. And we learn, believe it or not, that the baby in the manger is the radiance of God's glory. When you come to the manger, when you come to this baby, this baby is the radiance of God's glory. And that's a marvelous description of Jesus. And it's one that you don't want to miss. It's one that you want, don't want to forget. Jesus, the baby in the manger, according to the writer of Hebrews, is the radiance of God's glory. Not only at that particular time, but in the past, in the present, in the future, he will always be the radiance of the glory of God. The writer of Hebrews is talking about the relationship between this baby and God. 
What's the relationship between the baby and God? The baby is the radiance of the glory of God. And I hope you understand that God is glorious. If you don't understand it, Moses did. Moses cried out in Exodus 33, 18. He cried out to God, show me your glory. God, I want to see your glory. I want to see your majesty. I want to see you. That's what he's basically saying. And God said, you can't see me, but, but, but I'll pass by you. I'll let you see my backside. Just let you get a little glimpse of how glorious I am. God is glorious. And the Lord Jesus Christ, the baby in the manger, is the one who radiates the glory of God. Like the rays of sunshine radiate the sun, the S-U-N. The sun, S-O-N, radiates the glory of God. That's mind-boggling. God's heaviness, God's weightiness, who God is in his character. There's one who radiates that. There's one who shines forth the person and the work of God. And that is Jesus, the, the baby in the manger. It's not talking about the fact that Jesus reflects the glory of God. No, he radiates, he shines forth the glory of God. It's not talking about the fact that he's the mirror of God. No, it's talking about he's the manifestation of God. Jesus, the baby in the manger, manifests the glory of God. So don't let that fact that Jesus was in the form of a baby delude you into thinking that somehow Jesus is not the radiance of God's glory. That baby throughout all eternity radiates the glory of God. And if that's not enough to speak of his relationship to God, the writer of Hebrews goes on and says, the baby is the exact representation of God's nature. My, my, my. That ought to be my response when I come to the manger. My, my, my. This is not some cute, adorable baby. This is the one who is the exact representation of God's nature of God's being, of God's essence, of who he is. Think about that. Where can I see God? Where can I get a glimpse of his nature, his essence, his being, who he really is? The writer of Hebrews is telling us that Jesus, the baby in the manger, and really Jesus at all times, is the exact representation 
of who God is, his nature, his being. Not that he only looks like God, but he is the carbon copy. He is the image of God. He is the reflection. He is the manifestation. He is the representation, the exact representation of God. How can that be? How can the baby in the manger be the exact representation of God's nature? The only way that can happen is because the baby in the manger is God. That's the only way. Can't be a human being. No human being has the ability to be the exact representation and expression of the nature of God. The the writer of Hebrews, once again, is telling us this baby is not some ordinary baby. This baby is extraordinary. This baby is God in human flesh. He's the exact representation of God, the stamp of God, the image of God. So the writer has talked about this baby's relationship to God. That this baby's relationship to God is that the baby is the exact representation of God's nature and that the baby is the radiance of God's glory. But he goes on. He tells us about this baby in relationship to the universe. He tells us that the baby born on Christmas Day upholds all things. He sustains not a few things, but everything. We learned earlier that Jesus is the heir of all things. That's people and possessions and the earth. We learn also that Jesus created the world. That's a part of the all things. But Jesus Christ sustains all things. And, and upholds all things. And we got to make sure we don't get that wrong. When it says he upholds all things, it's not saying that he puts up <laughs> with all things. You know how we're called to put up with one another. I hope you know that as Christians. We're going to rub each other the wrong way. We're not going to all. And we're to put up with one another. But this is not what the writer of Hebrews is saying. He's not saying that Jesus is putting up with the universe. And and neither is he saying that Jesus Christ is that mythological figure called Atlas. Remember that Greek figure, the God of strength and endurance, and he's pictured how? With the globe of the world on his shoulders. That's not what is being spoken of here. The writer of Hebrews is telling us that Jesus is active. That Jesus participates. He's involved. And he's sustaining and he's bearing and he's carrying this universe to its intended goal. It might look crazy to us. But the Bible tells us that this Jesus is the one who upholds all things. What a baby. 
that, that he upholds and sustains and is working in all things so that the will of God is accomplished. And we don't have to wonder how he does it, do we? If we know our Bibles, we know how he does it. The writer of Hebrews says he upholds all things. How? By the power of his word. By the word of his power. That's how he does it. He speaks and things happen. He commands and everything listens to him. Not like creatures. But all things, when he commands them, they obey him. He, he doesn't have to lift a finger. All he has to do is speak. And it happens. He upholds all things by the word of his power. Remember when we went through the Gospel of Mark? We, we saw this real time. Jesus was asleep in the boat. And the storms and the winds were acting crazy. And what did Jesus do? He spoke. He didn't, he didn't lift a finger. He spoke. He said, Hush. Be still. That's all he said. Here is the Lord over creation. Here's the Lord who has the ability to say to the winds and to the storm and to the elements of nature, hush, be still. And you know the story. The sea and the waves and the wind obey his voice. He upholds the universe. He sustains it. He energizes it so that it reaches its Intended goal, and he does it by the word of the power. Now you're getting tired on me, getting a little bit weary, but don't give up at this point in time as we behold the baby in the manger. Because the next two descriptions are what I like to call the sweet potato pie of the description. And I just feel like I need to bring up sweet potato pie. My good buddy, Michael Spencer, brought me two sweet potato pies by the house yesterday. Well, you know, I'm a happy man. I'm happy to be back with you here at Fairview, but I'm happy to get those sweet potato pies. I got one saved for the family for Christmas Day, but the other one's for me. And I, I'm doing my part. Half of it is gone. So I'm going to try to act like I got some sense and not eat the other half today. But sweet potato pies, you know, when they're made right, I love them. But these next two verses are the sweet potato pie of this description. I want you to realize and to behold the baby. And remember when you behold this baby, remember this baby has made purification of sins. Can I put it another way? This baby is the Savior. 
He's the Savior. He's the one who rescues and delivers people from their sins. And the writer of Hebrews says that this son, this glorious son, that this son provided purification of sins. He understands that sin is a problem. That sin devastates. That sin defiles. That sin damages. That sin destroys. It dirties. So we got a problem. Because when we come into this world as a human being, when we're born into this world, we're born into this world as sinners by nature and by choice. And because we are dirty and because we are filthy, we are unacceptable to God. He cannot accept us in our filth, in the dirt of our sin. But praise the Lord that this baby is the Savior. He's the one that provides purification of sins. He's the one who provides cleansing of sins. And that if a man or a woman or a boy or a girl would repent of his sins or her sins and put their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ alone for salvation, they will experience the forgiveness of sins. They will be cleansed. And as we sung earlier, oh happy day, when my sins were washed away. That's only possible because of the baby who is the Savior. And the writer of Hebrews wants us to understand, you're not just looking at a baby. You're looking at the Savior. You're looking at the one who provides forgiveness and purification of sin. If we were to behold the command to see the baby in the manger, if we really did that, if we saw him as the one who has provided purification of sin, we would say with the songwriter, Oh, hallelujah, what a Savior. What a Savior the Lord Jesus Christ is. But this is not the end of the story. The story doesn't end with Jesus being crucified and killed on the cross. When we look at the last description, we're going to find out that the story continues. There's a resurrection. There's an ascension. And there's an exaltation. And what is significant is that the writer of Hebrews doesn't mention the resurrection of Jesus. He doesn't mention the ascension of Jesus. He just passes by all of that and talks about the exaltation of Jesus. And so the last description that I wanted to see is that the baby in the manger has sat down at God's right hand. And if I can change that a little bit, I would say that the baby in the manger is the exalted one. He is the exalted one. Yes, he was raised from the dead on the third day. Yes, he ascended back to heaven. But he sat down when he went back to heaven. And he sat down at the right hand of God. 
And he sat down because his work was done. Salvation has been provided for. But, but the right of Hebrews is talking way more about than that. It's more than just that the work of redemption is done. The right of Hebrews is telling us that the baby that people admire and look at is part of the manger scene is the exalted one. He tells us that Jesus sat down. He sat down. When? When did he sit down? He sat down after he made purification and cleansing for sin. Where? Where did he sit down? Did he take a seat here at Fairview? Did he sit down on the front pew? No, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And that's really the right of Hebrews simply saying he sat down at God's right hand. He, he doesn't even want to use God's name. He just wants to refer to God as majestic, as great. And so he said, Jesus sat down where? At the right hand of the majesty in high, on high, in heaven. He sat down. And he did it after the crucifixion. He did it after the resurrection. He, he did it after the ascension. He sat down at the right hand of God. And he is, as a result of that, the exalted one. He's at that preeminent, prominent place, God's right hand. And the right of Hebrews is referring to Psalm 110. Now, I don't know about you. Uh, some of us, our favorite psalm might be Psalm 23. We just gave to the children's workers, workers a book on Psalm 23, that the Lord is my shepherd. You know my favorite psalm, right? Psalm 119. But the favorite psalm of the New Testament writer, Psalm 110. In that first verse of that psalm, David says, the Lord, that is Yahweh, says to my Lord, talking about the Messiah, sit at my right hand. This is Yahweh speaking. This is God speaking. To Messiah, he's saying, sit at my right hand. And that's exactly what the writer of Hebrews said Jesus did. That he sat down at the right hand of God. And Psalm 110 verse 1 goes on to say that Yahweh says to the Messiah, until, until mine enemies become a footstool to your feet. And that's what's taking place now. Jesus is seated at the right hand of God, but his enemies have not yet become a footstool for his feet. But they will, because this is the exalted one. This is the enthroned one. This is the one who sits at the prominent place in all the world, at the right hand of God. What a way to end these seven descriptions. To, to say that the baby in the manger is the exalted one, the enthroned one, the one who has sat down 
at the right hand of God. I want to tell you, though, some people don't think it ends here. Some people think it ends in verse 4. Because in verse 4 it says that this exalted one is better than the angels. And that's one of the themes of the book of Hebrews. Pointing out that Jesus is better than this or that. That Jesus is superior to that person or to that thing. And here the writer of Hebrews says in verse 4, Jesus is better than the angels. The angels played a role in God speaking in the past. But God is now speaking to one who is superior to the angels. He's speaking to us through his son. So behold, behold the baby who was born on Christmas Day. He's the heir of all things. He is the agent of creation. He is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his nature. He upholds all things. He is the Savior. He is the exalted one. Do not let this Christmas season pass you by where you do not stop and pause and behold the one in the nature. Make sure during this Christmas season that you have made this one your personal Lord and Savior. Make sure that you have made this one the center in the circumference of your life. One of the songs that the choir presented at the musical was Emmanuel. It's a well-known Christmas song. It says, come, come, let us adore him. Kneel down before him. Worship and adore him. In the next stanza, it says the same thing. But then the refrain is, Emmanuel, Emmanuel. In case you didn't know, that term means God with us. And it goes on to say, we worship you. That's what we're called to do, therapy, on this Christmas Sunday as we behold the baby in the manger would come, call to come and adore him, to kneel down before him, to worship and adore him. And I trust that you'll be able to say during this Christmas season to the Lord Jesus Christ, to the baby in the manger, I worship. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this, these descriptions of the Lord Jesus Christ. Would you be kind and gracious to each and every one of us to see Jesus in all of his glory, in all of his beauty, in all of his majesty. Father, help us to behold the baby in the manger and to realize that the one in the manger was the eternal Son of God.
with God who took upon human flesh, the one who's the Savior, the one who provides cleansing and purification of sins. Father, thank you that the baby is no longer in the manger, but the Lord Jesus Christ is seated at your right hand in the place of prominent and preeminent, waiting till you put all things under his feet. And Lord, we don't want to wait to that time. We want to repent of our sins and put our faith in Christ and put our lives under the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ so that he might lead us and guide us and direct us. Help us to behold the baby born in Christmas day. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you.